morning, Midland Free. Good morning. If we haven't met before, my name's Jeremy. I'm a preaching pastor here. If it's been a while because you've been at the lake, my name's Jeremy. <laughs> Welcome back. We are so glad you're here to worship with us today. Um, th- this is really cool. I just got to say on Wednesday mornings, she mentioned, Christine mentioned that she does it sometimes on a little prayer walk or jaunt and I'll come in that you can tell because the curtains are closed and the lights are off and she's doing her thing. It is beautiful. You ought to come here if you get a chance on Wednesday and just watch her play with the lights. It's really pretty. So thank you to our worship arts team. They do amazing stuff and make us look a whole lot better than we actually are, which is really cool. Thanks, guys. But it's not for us. As you know, it's all for God and his glory. Um, I have obviously changed my wardrobe a little bit this morning. Uh, I'll do anything I can to wear shorts on a Sunday. So actually that's not the case um but what happened is i've been struggling with plantar fasciitis for a couple years eventually it was summertime and uh pastor david and pastor chuck were kind enough to speak for me so i went ahead and bit the bullet and got it uh taken care of so i hope to get this off this week will be my third week and then i will be uh walking uh, again and hopefully feeling great so thanks for your prayers and encouragement i know i didn't advertise a whole lot but i just uh, like to get it done and um, glad to be here today this morning I have some advice uh, for you young men particularly if you are single now you'll find that this actually applies to everybody and it leads into what we're going to talk about today but if you're a young unmarried man listen up so I've got some advice for you. <laughs> this is Dating Advice 101 from Pastor Jeremy. You ready, boys? Yeah, you're listening now. I'm glad to hear it. All right. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, the Bible actually tells us. Now, there's a couple different ways to look at it. One is, in the New Testament, there is such thing as a gift of singleness. And so if you have the gift of singleness, great. God be praised. But that is a gift. It's unique. It's special. Not everyone has that. Probably a lot more people fall into the category of desiring uh, lifelong companionship, whether you're male or female. And the Bible actually affirms that. Let me show you a verse here. Uh, Proverbs 18.22 says this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And additionally, obtains favor from the Lord. In other words... If you marry the right person, you will be better off. God will bless your life. And as many of you sadly have found out, if you marry the wrong person, the exact opposite is true. But in this case, what I'm trying to point out is that pursuing another person, particularly if you're a male, is a good thing. In fact, gentlemen, you are to pursue. It is your job as a male to pursue the female. Now, I'm trying to dance really carefully (laughs) through this thing, but and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'm like, I got some good ideas. I'm way out of the game, but I've got all kinds of ideas now if you're interested. And one of them is this. One of them is this. If you're like a young man, see, you don't want to be too obvious because that's too much. It would be kind of subtle, but you also want to indicate that you are interested. So the thing is, is I thought, well, how can you do that in a church setting? Because indeed, we do have single females that come here and 
they come here. So what that means is, if you're a young man, you need to sign up to be a greeter. (laughs) Right? And then you've got a pretty good idea of everything that's coming through the doors. And you're like, all right. Welcome here. May I show you around, you know? And then you just happen to be there. And then if you show her around and she seems, you know, accommodated that, make sure she sees you next time showing the little elderly lady around as well. Okay? There's ways. But pursue. That's some good ways to pursue, but let me tell you some bad ways to pursue as well, just so we don't get confused. A bad way might be like this. Guys, are you listening? Listen up, guys. This is good advice. I think so. Work for me once, and and I'm done. All right? Here's the thing. If you walk up to a young lady and you say, hi, I'm interested in long-term success, particularly financial stability, and I would like a large portfolio, and I see that you have significant earning potential and come from a well-endowed family. Um, would you be interested in sort of, you know, living as husband and wife? That way we'll be better off together. <laughs> How do you think that? No? Don't, don't try that. Okay. No, gentlemen, don't try that. It's not going to work. You know, you better be ready to turn the other cheek at that point. It's not going to happen. What if you were to walk up to her and say, hello, the only thing that matters in life is happiness. And since I'm all about my own personal satisfaction and joy and happiness, you look like the perfect thing to make me happy. (laughs) I would like to marry you for the sake of making me happy for the rest of my life. Are you interested? (laughs) Yes? No? No. Okay. Here's the thing. When you're pursuing someone, you don't want to pursue the product and you don't want to pursue things other than the person. Don't pursue the product. Pursue the person. What you're after is not what they can give you, but what you're after is they themselves. If you pursue her because you love her, because you desire her, because you want nothing more to make her happy, then you're on the right path. And the irony is that if you're doing so in the right way, then all those other things will be added unto you as well. You pursue her because you love her. You pursue her because you want to sacrifice with her for her. You pursue her because you want to spend time with her and enjoy her and make her life better. And ironically enough, that actually makes your life better. And that's the thing. When we get to Mark chapter 2, what you're going to see is that there are all different philosophies of pursuing things. And the Pharisees are going to do it one way. They're going to be like, okay, pursue the product or pursue the process. We want you to go after this end, this final destination. And the way you get there, you know, might be through this route or it could be through our route, but this is what we want. But there's this other guy that comes along and he says, no, 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 don't pursue any of that. They've got a masterful system. But what you really want is a person. Don't follow that. Follow me. Mark chapter 2, today we're going to talk about what to pursue. I want to show you through this passage what not to pursue, what to pursue, and then what that looks like in your real life. Because no doubt you're pursuing something. 
Regardless, you're single, married, retired, young, old, in between, anything. You are pursuing something. This passage today tells you what to pursue. And it also shows you what not to pursue. So those are the three things we'll do when we cover today's text. I think there's a slide here of our outline. We're going to look at what to pursue, what not to pursue, and what that looks like in real life. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to read along with me in Mark chapter 2. This is Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Words will also be up on the screen if you didn't bring one with you today. Here they are. Mark chapter 2 says this. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Levi rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, and there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, to those who are well, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous. But sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus gives them three analogies or three pictures of the same reason. First is this He says, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. Now, number two, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it when it's washed, and the the new from the old, and the worst tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for if he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But the new wine is for fresh wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we read this text, what's always fun to see when Jesus handles confrontation or he um, confronts these, or answers these people who are questioning him or trying to trap him, he often answers with either a question or a story. In this case, it's three different um, stories, the wedding, the garment, and the wine. And basically, throughout this whole thing, what I'd like to sort of have come clearly across is the big idea comes from the one imperative or the one command in this passage. There's only one. Like a lot of times you look at the Bible, what do I do? In this section, there's only one command. There's only one thing it's telling you to do. And it's this in verse 14 where Jesus says, follow me. That's the big idea. That's the whole thing. Because people, we're looking for a system. We're looking for all sorts of commands. We, we need like 10 steps to whatever. And indeed, the Pharisees will provide that if you'd like. But Jesus has a very simple process, a very simple idea, a straightforward command. And it's just this. Follow me. That's what he says. It's not that complicated. It's not extensive. It's not highly uh, complex. It's just one Two words, follow me. 
So in the next few moments, then, I want to hopefully show you a little bit better how to do that and what that looks like. And I want to start by pointing out what that doesn't look like, what not to pursue, what not to pursue. Now, early on, I said, uh, when we talked about the opening story, we we talked about pursuing uh, a spouse or, an, or another person, and you you don't want to start with the product. In other words, don't pursue the product. Yes, you may want to be happy. Yes, you may want to be better off. But that is ultimately not what you're trying to pursue. Instead, what you're trying to pursue is um, the person themselves. So in this situation, what you see is the Pharisees desire this ultimate righteousness. At least that's their um, claim that they want to be righteous. And so they are after that product and they think that in and of themselves, they can manufacture this, that they can design a process, even though it's completely human and they can force it upon themselves and force it on others in such a way that they can guarantee the outcome or the product. They're saying, Hey, look, Guys, we know that we can accomplish this. And so when they approach people, they, they put this yoke on other people that Jesus never puts on them. They put this burden on others. They impose it on them and say, carry this, do this, do that. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 drop it. You don't have to live by their system. You don't have to live by their rules. All you have to do is follow me. The point in this passage is that we follow Jesus. It's not that we live our lives for the sake of pursuing his blessing. Let me say that again. We follow Jesus because we follow Jesus, not because we want to receive Jesus's gifts. Here's another, here's another way to say that a little bit more clearly. Um, John Piper in his book, Desiring God, says it like this. It's unbiblical and arrogant to try to worship God for any other reason than the pleasure to be had in him. Now, don't miss these last two words. In him, not his gifts, but in him. I think so many times as Christians in the New in, in the New Testament, particularly in North America, we're like, yeah, 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 we love Jesus. He's awesome. Let's add him to our already full lives and see what other kinds of benefits he can bring us. That, my friends, is trying to sew a new patch onto an old garment. We got this old garment, this way of doing things, this lifestyle that we think is cool. And we're like, oh, here's Jesus. We'll just add him to that. The problem is Jesus rips away from that and says, no, 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 that's not me. It's like me or anything. Look, it's like new wine in old wineskins. What happens to old wineskins is that when the wine is poured in them and it ferments, it expands. And so they've used up all their stretchiness. Now, after they've used their stretchiness, if you refill them again with new wine, what happens is, again, that wine will ferment and it'll expand some more, but the skin won't have anywhere to go, and so it'll explode. And all of a sudden, that won't work. This analogy is very common to them back then because we're using bottles and all the sorts of fancy stuff. They're just using leather skins. And Jesus is saying, that won't work. It's like if you go home and you're like, yeah, I got my soccer trophies and my softball trophies. And here's my deer trophies. And here's my this hobby. And here's my that hobby. And my that hobby. My golf club. And here's my 
shelf, and it's plumb full, and it's really cool. Oh, yeah, let's add Jesus to that. And we grab Jesus, and we put him on the shelf. The shelves will come tumbling down because they cannot bear the weight of the almighty, magnificent God. He is too much for that. Jesus is the new wine, and so when he comes into your life like wine, he expands and takes over everything until everything else that's insignificant is pushed out of the way. And anything anything tries to come together with that, it doesn't work. It tears apart. It breaks. Jesus is the new wine. Look, C.S. Lewis says it like this. Young people, listen to me because here's the thing. You're challenged to share your faith with your friends at school. Folks, in your career, you're challenged to share your faith with your coworkers. And it's right to call them to repentance. And it's right to warn them of eternity. But let's be careful about how we do so. For example, C.S. Lewis says, hey, it's hardly complimentary to God that we should choose him as an alternative to hell. Yet even this, in his grace, he accepts. The call to other people is not, hey, look at all these benefits that you get for following Jesus. The call to other people is not, oh, choose Jesus or you'll go to hell. We know you've heard that guy pound the pulpit and say that. The call to follow Jesus is to follow Jesus because this is better than anything else you can ever imagine. And everything else pales in comparison. That's the call to follow Christ. It's not a compliment to say choose Jesus over hell. It's not a compliment to walk up to Jesus and say, hey, I'd like to be happy forever. Maybe you'll get me there. Maybe I'd like to be rich in heaven. Maybe you'll get me those riches. What? A human being would walk away from that. What about the Almighty? He is so much better. Don't pursue the product. Pursue the person. Don't pursue the product. Pursue the person. Furthermore, don't pursue the process. I talked about this a little bit earlier. I know we have process engineers sitting in this room, and process is important. I understand if I drive over the Mackinac Bridge, I do not want it to go down, right? By all means, do the process. Similarly, we do not want any releases here in Midland. Do the process. But here's the thing. In your spiritual lives, there are human processes and there's divine processes. And we can't manufacture the divine. Yes, we can practice the spiritual disciplines, which are good. But when we get to a point where like, yeah, we can do this on your own. We don't need your help. Then we have greatly erred. Instead, what we need to do is simply clear all the fluff from around us and say, my job, my job, my job is to follow Jesus. To pursue him wherever I'm at, whatever that looks like for me, to follow Christ. Pursue the person, not the process. Let's talk about fasting just just for fun, and I'll make it fast. <laughs> Pastor Chuck, Woo. raise the roof. All right, back at you. Okay, here's the thing. Um, Fasting in the Old Testament is only required on one day of the year. One day, the Day of Atonement. That's it. And yet, by the New Testament, the Pharisees have these folks fasting every single Monday and Thursday. You follow the development of the New Testament, and it's actually very rarely talked about, a handful of times, four or five. And what you see is that it's never commanded, but instead a matter of Christian liberty. 
as a result to say that you have to fast on this day or that day or you have to follow this liturgical season and at this time of year you have to do this. That's wrong. Jesus never says that. The Pharisees say that. That's their process, not his. What he says is, hey, I'm here. Let the party begin. Wouldn't it be rude to go to a wedding? You go to a wedding and you walk in and everybody's partying and having a good time. And you're just like, oh, Mo is me. This is miserable. Poor us. I mean, people are like, what are you doing? You're ruining it for everybody else. We're here to have a good time and celebrate this great thing. If if this person goes away or all of a sudden someone walks in and steals them, then that's sad. But while they're here, let's celebrate. Now, look, here's the thing. Jesus said this to his disciples. And then he said, actually, it's better for me to go away than to stay. So in other words, what you have now is even better than what they had then. If theirs was a party, ours should be a raucous party. (laughs) We have seen the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've seen the first advent. We've received the benefits. We have the Holy Spirit. We know he's coming back. It's better. The Christian life is to be characterized by joy, by absolute extreme joy. Now, let me be clear about what I mean by joy. Because we hear the word joy and we think happy, happy, go lucky joy. No, that's not it. Follow the disciples. They're getting beaten and thrown in prison. And yet, they're singing. How is that so? Well, they're just, you know, apostles. No, no, here's the thing. They understand that because Jesus is coming back, that everything is wrong will be made right. They understand the good news. They understand the victory of the gospel. They understand that Jesus won. As a result, that trumps everything they're going through now. And because they're living for him, they can find joy, meaning, purpose, satisfaction, and fulfillment in whatever situation they're in. And that's joy. That's real joy. Joy is not, I got what I want for my birthday. That's great, but that's happiness, and that goes away. And if that's all you're pursuing, you're going to be miserable because that'll be short-lived and it'll wear out and grow old. And maybe it's even possible that what you want is not Jesus, but something else, and you'll be like the Pharisees, and you'll be miserable the rest of your life because you keep pursuing it, pursuing it, pursuing it, pursuing it. You just never get there, and you're not happy. And yet you look at the people who had the most education, the most power, the most influence, the most money, and they're still not happy. And yet the people here who are described as the sinners, they're falling at Jesus' feet. Their tears are covering him, and they are filled with joy. Why is that? Because they have what they want. They have Jesus. And so they're happy. But that person who's pursuing other things is never happy because they never get what they want. If you want to be happy, pursue Jesus, and you're guaranteed to get what you want. And that's how you have joy. Even if you don't have him fully now, you know you will. And so you can be assured throughout the struggle, Ah, I will get what I want. I'll get Jesus. And I have a pretty good taste of that right now. Because I have the church, I have communion, I have the Lord's Supper, I have his word, I have his spirit. I have all these things sealing me until that day when I do enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb and that whole ceremony of our betrothal is fulfilled. And if that one was a party and this is a raucous party, I have no idea what that's going to be like. That's going to be crazy. Not boring. No harps, no wings, no clouds, nobody floating. 
but fun for real. Jesus is the new wine. He is growing and bursting forth and he can't be contained in any of your systems or boxes or ideas. Pursue him. Pursue the product. No, sorry, pursue the person, not the product, because he's better. He's so much better. Let me show you just how Mark says he's better. Mark, you know, up until this point, what we've been doing this summer is going through the book of Mark and we're encountering Jesus. And each encounter, whether it's through demons or sickness or whatever, shows how much better he is. Look at all these betters that we've already seen in the book of Mark. For example, here's a slide. It's a list of things that's coming up next. Jesus, the first thing John the Baptist says about him is he's mightier. He's mightier than the Romans. He's mightier than all these other systems. He's stronger. Jesus is mightier. He immerses people in the Holy Spirit. That's never been done before. For him at his baptism, the heavens rip open. He runs out in the wilderness and defeats Satan empty-handed. He proclaims God's victory over and over again, the gospel. He calls people with authority, such authority, they drop everything and follow him. He teaches with authority, unlike anybody else. He commands demons. Who can do that? He heals instantly. No physical therapy, nothing. He touches appropriately. He forgives sins. He calls the unqualified. He comes to the needy. Look, he is so much better. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the goal of all of your striving, the measure of all of your efforts, the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price, your very great reward. There is nothing better than him. This is Jesus. Why would you pursue anything else? He's better. You want to have joy? Pursue Christ. Pursue something else. It really won't be that fun. I promise. Pursue Jesus. Number one, don't pursue the process or the product. Number two, pursue the person. Why? Because he's better and he'll give you more joy. Now, let's talk about what that'll look like, how to pursue For Levi, the tax collector, in this text, what it means for him is that he has to leave his employment. It is dishonest. He makes a good living by stealing from other people. His boss, whether it's the Herods or a different uh, group, we don't really know whether it's Rome or the Herods, uh, require him to bring in a certain amount. But he can choose to charge whatever he wants. So this position in that time is something that was highly sought sought after. People wanted this government position. They would go into big-time debt in order to acquire it because once you're there, you are set for life. So here's this tax collector who's gaining money by extorting others. And so for him to follow Jesus, it means that he's going to have to walk away from his career and do something different. Now, here's the challenge. I don't know what line of work you're in. Yours may be completely honest and right. If that's the case, stay where you're at. But some of you may be in a line of work that you need to leave. Just one for one, you need to leave. Because the industry that you're in is not healthy and is not driving you to Jesus. There's things that are required of your position. It's just a little bit questionable. Maybe it's shady. Maybe it's sketchy. 
Maybe the people you're around are driving you in the wrong direction. Whatever it is, you might need to leave. Leave your job and follow Jesus. Find another one. That's what happens to Levi. Leave. Better to leave your job and end up forever condemned. Leave. Another option is this. Now, I'm, let that sink in. I'm serious. If you're in a bad career, you need to get out. Another option is this. Maybe you're in the right spot. Maybe you're not even in a career. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or dad or whatever. And, boy, here you are, and you can't see the end of it. And it seems like drudgery, and it's boring, and there's no fulfillment, and there's no satisfaction. What do you do? Well, you pursue joy, and you pursue Jesus, and you realize that Jesus is there in that spot with you, and that what you're pursuing is not accomplishment, not money, not degree, but Him. If you're pursuing the product, and you're in that spot, you will be very disappointed. But if you're pursuing the person, you can do that wherever you're at. Whether you're in high school, whether you're retired, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whatever, you can pursue Jesus anywhere. And that's going to look different for a lot of people. But I think what I'm saying to you is this. Despite the doldrums, despite the drudgery, despite the difficulty of the daily grind, here's what this should look like. Let me show you a picture. This is the front of our church right outside our office. There's a little tree and there's a rock bed. Now, I know from where you're sitting, you're like, okay, there's a tree and a rock bed. I wanted to get this, you know, kind of across so you don't see too much. There is a little spot in there that I happened to notice when I was out saying hi to someone one day. I was like, wait, what is that? That's weird. All right, let's zoom in just a little bit more. Look at that. A petunia in the middle of our rocks. I'm like, how in the world did I get there? I didn't plan it. I don't think anybody planned it. I have no idea. This was not a, to my knowledge, this was not a petunia bed before there were rocks. This was rocks. And all of a sudden, there's this beautiful little pristine petunia just bursting forth in all of its glory in the middle of this bed. And I'm looking at that saying, wow, talk about bloom where you're planted. I mean, that is amazing. This plant does not care. There's rocks all around it. And thanks to our ground screw, there's no weeds. But here it is in a really difficult environment. I don't know what your environment is. It could be miserable. It could be difficult. God could be calling you to leave or he could be calling you to stay. And if he's calling you to stay, you need to look like that. What does that look like? It looks like that. Let me give you a couple characteristics because I can't, you know, there's, I don't know, several hundred people in this room. I can't come to each of you and say, this is what you do in your situation this morning. But a few things that you know, here's three observations of what following Jesus looks like, regardless of which circumstance you're in, no matter where you're at in life, it has these three characteristics. These are they. Number one, there's risk. There's always risk. Look, when Levi leaves his fa- when Levi leaves the tax collector thing, it's a big time exit. 
He's now AWOL. He's absent without leave. This is a government post. Unlike the fisherman who can just come back at some point and say, hey, dad, hey, mom, uh, sorry about that. Do you mind if I get back in? They're like, sure, yeah, okay, fine. Join the business. We need you. Levi is gone. When he leaves, his superiors are not going to be appreciative of the fact there is no two-week notice. He's throwing it all on the line. There's risk. No matter where you're at in following Jesus, there is risk. If you're doing it right, there's real, real risk. Now, that said, there's also joy, which we've talked about a little bit. But let me just say it like this. Joy is consistently the mark of the believer. Regardless of where you're at, you're anticipating the future. And because of your future, you know that your present is going to be okay. And therefore, joy is the flag that flies from the castle of the Christian heart. Here's where we stand. Boom. This is the king's country. It is his kingdom. He is coming back. He will claim it. I am part of that country. I am one of his citizens. I know that he is one, and therefore my flag is joy. Boom. Put it in the ground and hold on to it. Joy. Number three, this. It's a shared experience. Joy. So following Jesus is risky. Number two, it's joyful. And three, it's a shared experience. If you have joy, how much better to share it with somebody else? Look, if you try to keep it to yourself, it's going to shrivel up and die. But when you have real joy, you're going over to somebody and saying, hey, 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 guess what? Guess what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I fill in the blank. Watch a little kid when they're excited and they want to show you something or they want to tell you something. Watch a couple of people that share a common interest and they get together and all of a sudden they're just feeding off each other and getting so excited about it. Joy is so much better when you're together. That's why we don't do this Christian thing on our own because coming together, it builds upon itself and gives additional joy and more strength and greater joy. How much better when you guys laugh at my jokes? <laughs> Thank you. It's so much better that way. You know, if it falls flat, there's no fun. But if we share this strange, quirky sense of humor that I have, it works. It's great. But if it's not shared, then it's no fun. Joy is always better when it's doubled. Anything good you want to share with someone else. I love it when my little daughter, when she's really young, she tastes something that's yummy. And all of a sudden, the first thing she says to me is, hey, dad, try this. You know? That's very different than, ooh, you can't have any. I'm not going to share. Then then what does her face look like? If she's doing that, she's going, ooh. But if she's like, hey, Dad, try this. And I go, oh, yummy. That's so good. I love all that slobber on your spoon and everything. It's amazing. It's delicious. And you go for it because joy is so much better shared. Double, triple, quadruple, whatever you do in the church, share it. So what not to pursue? The product of the process. What to pursue? The person. And what does that look like? Well, it's risky. You may have to leave something. It is joyful, even though it may be difficult. And it is shared. Wherever you're at... Your response to Jesus' call to follow me should look like that. It should involve risk. It should involve joy. And it should be shared with someone else. So if you're single today, let me just give you one more hint before you go. And you see somebody else that is, don't follow them out the door. 
It's a little too soon. <laughs> okay, slow down next week. Be ready. Be subtle. But if you're single, you do have the obligation, young men, to pursue. If you're married, older men, pursue. Just because you're married and you got what you want doesn't mean you're off the hook. Your job is still the exact same to pursue the person. You are still to pursue your wife. Even after you said, I do, you pursue and pursue and pursue and pursue. If you're single, if you're married, and if you're a Christian, it's all the same. Pursue the person. Father, we thank you for your only son, Jesus, who's the only thing worth pursuing. Lord, I'm sorry for the things I pursued that don't have anything to do with him. That's uh, just completely wrong and sinful and out of balance. Pray that you'd help so that the gifts he gives I can receive with joy and give credit back to him and share with others. I pray that you'd help me to take risks where I need to and that I would enjoy the redoubling of that joy when shared with others in my life. Lord, thank you for calling us like you called Levi. Lord, help us to follow you and never let go. In Jesus' name, amen.